What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from IndieHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these indie hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. I'm here with Sahil Lavingia. Sahil, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Always excited to do this. Excited to have you. I'm here with your book, uh, The Minimalist Entrepreneur. I've got a copy with me, How Great Founders Do More With Less. First question I ask to everybody who writes a book is, why did you write a book? You could have a newsletter. You could, I mean, you've got a huge Twitter presence. You could be blogging. Why Why a book? Yeah. Well, certainly there's nothing unique to the book in the sense that, you know, everything interesting and smart that I have to say, I want that stuff to reach as many people as possible. So that's, you know, my Twitter is kind of like the best place for, for all of that. But I think that I don't know, like a book is is just different. Like, I think there's something nice about having an artifact that I can kind of point people towards and say, hey, you know, if you are interested in my sort of thoughts on sales, marketing, hiring, culture, basically anything, you know, that that has to do with building business and starting starting a business, I guess, mo- most importantly, um, I want there to be kind of a single place that people can go and get it. Right. Um, and I find that like Twitter and emails and all that stuff, I think is great, but it it's it's the opposite of timeless, I find. Like, it's kind of very relevant and it's great for getting distribution in the moment. But I wanted to write something that like 10 years from now, people could look back and say, okay, this is still like useful stuff. But honestly, it was like, it was hard. I mean, like... It is hard. <laughs> I've never done it, but it's kind of why I haven't done it. I'm like, that seems, that seems hard. The returns are not as obvious, right? Like, I think there are some examples of like the, uh, like Atomic Habits Mm-hmm. is probably the most successful book that has kind of come out of our corner of the universe, you know, for in the last like, kind of five years or so. And then maybe like The Psychology of Money recently by Morgan Housel has also done very, very, very well. But even then, like they don't really compare it to like if you're in tech, like, you know, in terms of money, in terms of reach, in terms of distribution, like it is like, a, it is this interesting, weird thing to wrap your head around, which is like, we still rely on books. We all love books. They're pretty important in our kind mm-hmm. of development. We all have books that I think have like kind of shaped us in a way that maybe like YouTube videos have just have not in the same right. way. But yet in like 2021, it's like, why write a book? <laughs> <You> know, <it's, laughs> There's a, uh, a very real sense in which I have been shaped by several books that I could easily list. Like this book changed me as a person. There's even some essays that have changed me as a person. And then there's like a whole bunch. There's like a thousand tweets that I've read where I read it. And I'm like, that is really good. And then I completely forget about it and it's completely gone and it helped me zero in my life for some reason, even though it's really good. It's very condensed. Uh, maybe the length has to do with the staying power. Yeah, well, there was this uh, TED talk about uh, it was called something like the new atheism or the new religion or something. It might have been Alain de Paton or something like that. But basically, uh, his point was that you need, you know, you go to church and like every Sunday, it's like the same stuff. And like many, I think the sort of first pass of it from like kind of an agnostic like myself would be something like, well, what's the point? Like why you learn all this stuff in like first class and then, you know, what's the point in like going back and doing the exact same lesson? Like, isn't there more here? Um, But his point was like, there's a real value to like being immersed in someone's point of view for a long period of time. And like that, like high friction to enter and to leave be a really good thing. And sometimes you need someone to just remind you like a trainer at the gym or something like that to just say, hey, this is important. You know, it's important. 
I'm just reminding you that it's important. But I find books are kind of like that for me sometimes where I can like read a book and, and sort of five hours in or five hours later when I finish the book, it's like, wow, I am, I've almost been like, I've joined this person's cult in a way, right? Like I spent so much time from their perspective in a way that like, there's no other medium that I feel like gets really close to that where I'm like, oh, wow, I really felt like I was, you know, in the driver's seat, for, you know, reading this book. I can't help but like believe them, like them, trust them and all these right. different, I think books, like there's a great book, speaking of books called the called a uh, moonwalking with Einstein. Yeah. One of my favorites. Like, wow, this really changed my perspective on quite a few issues. But one thing he talks about in the book is that before the internet, before actually before real like mass produced books, you would kind of go to a library and you kind of just like memorize books and you, cause you, to take books with you, you couldn't like, you'd have to memorize them. Right. Um, kind of like, it, you know, in Islam, you have to kind of memorize the Quran, something like that. Basically that meant that like you would pick like two, three books to kind of define you as a person, because that's what you could take with you. And so it's like, okay, these are the books. It's kind of like, this is the, the tiny part of the internet that I'm going to keep with me as I live my life. Like, what would those things be? What are those 10 tweets or what have you? And I, I, I love thinking about that. Like, yeah, there's like these certain books that really can inform your point of view. Um, if you, if you let them, and I think that there, that doesn't seem to exist in any other format that I found, which is as an investor, as someone who's always thinking about like software is eating the world and everything is going to look different after the internet touches it. And then, you know, writing a book, right? Like it's like <laughs> this thing that's roughly been the same form factor. I don't know, for like hundreds of years at this point, right? Like yeah. it's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah. I, I feel like with most books, like Moon, Moonwalking with Einstein, like it took like basically one central idea that I got out of that book. This is very cool concept of the memory palace. Because he goes into like extreme detail about how people who have these extensive memories won these memory competitions, and it's not because their brains are any different than the rest of ours. That's not why they can remember like 800 digits of pi, but it's because they use this trick where our brains are sort of wired to be very good at remembering spatial sort of location details and also like really vivid imagery. And so they kind of combine those two tricks into one, and they can do this very amazing feat where they can remember very long digits or strings of numbers or words or whatever, or maybe even entire books. And like, I'll never forget that. Like that stuck with me forever. There was so much else, like so much other stuff in that book. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of pages of yeah. things. So like that's the thing that stuck with me. You know, like, another book, Hooked. Like I read Hooked um, when working on the Indie Hackers Forum. It's by Ryan Hoover and Neary All. And it's all about like social networks and basically driving, building habit forming products. And the one thing I took from that book that I'll always remember is how important of a role novelty plays in our lives. And it's kind of interesting to think about like the dichotomy between spending so much time with something and then taking away just like one single <laughs> takeaway. But it also matters because like the takeaway lasts, at least for me, for a long time. Like I'll remember these things for the rest of my life. Whereas a Twitter, I might spend like a second on a tweet and remember nothing. <laughs> and so it seems more efficient, but ultimately ends up not being that way, at least for me. Yeah, totally. Well, it's it's just like, you know, it's like the, the best camera is the one you have with you, right? Like ultimately, if the whatever you end up remembering is going to be like the, the, the mental models that you really store are going to be the ones that you end up using. So with the minimalist entrepreneur, let's say you had to uh, pick which takeaway everybody would come away from that book remembering, you know, something that you said in the book that they would remember for the rest of their lives, even if the rest of it loses its relevancy or they forget about it, what, what would it be? That's a good, that's a good framing. Um, I would say probably uh, you don't, you don't learn, then start, you start, then learn, uh, which actually was a tweet of mine that I tweeted out while I was teaching the course, uh, that book is kind of based on, or is kind of, they're kind of in parallel. 
But yeah, start then learn, I think is a big one that I've found like a lot of people really resonate with. I spent a lot of my time, uh, a lot of the time in the book talking about like this kind of concept of processization, which is basically creating checklists, creating playbooks, almost like, you know, turning your mom and pop store into a franchise, right? Like sort of building all the rules, codifying everything, mainly as a, as a kind of a, a half step bef before building. I just find that so many people like building a product is such a scary task for them. They don't really know how to wrap their head around it. But if it's like, hey, just build this website on Notion, using Notion and Super and Webflow and connect Gumroad for payments or card or whatever, or you strike payment links now, which is great. Like that makes it a lot easier for people to wrap their heads around, almost like making the product feel like the smallest part about the business, right? And I found that like that, that, that would be my whole, like my, like my meta takeaway that I would love is that like, oh, wow, like building a business is actually much, I, I don't know if easier is the right word, but like much more approachable, approachable much more yeah. accessible than I would have expected, right? Because I think many people like my mom would be like, wow, what, what does like running a business even look like? Seems crazy. Seems like yeah. impossible to start. There's too many different bells and whistles. There's so much. You know, it's like when you watch a movie and there's like those hackers and mm -hmm. they're like, like, and you're like, wow, like, I could, <laughs> what is that? Like, that's, or like when you, uh, you know, you like read about like Google interviews or whatever, right? And you're like, okay, yeah. I'm never going to get a job as a Google engineer. Uh, and then you realize like, you know, most of being an engineer is like copy pasting stuff from Stack Overflow and changing the variables to match your style, right? Or whatever. And. I, I, I wish more people knew that, that there's just like a ton of duct tape basically all over the place. Yeah. There's a, a good uh, quote by George Bernard Shaw that every profession is a conspiracy against the lady. And I think that what you're talking about is sort of like unraveling that, right? You write a book and you say, okay, it's not actually that hard, you know, to start a business. There are ways to make it more approachable, ways to make it easier. It's still hard, but like, it's not as tough as it looks when you're looking at the, you know, the movies and you see the hacker or the crazy screen or when you're looking at like, you know, the entrepreneurship memoirs, people talk about burning the midnight oil or eating glass and staring into the abyss. Like in a way, everybody wants to make it seem like their journey was the hardest thing possible because it's, it's good for them, but it's not good for newcomers. So that was why write a book. I guess my next question is why write this book? You could write a book about almost anything. Um, entrepreneurship is a well-worn topic. There's so many books about entrepreneurship. You are a multi-talented individual. You've done a lot of different things. Obviously, I guess startups is sort of where you've made a name for yourself, but I, I've been considering writing a book too. I have no idea what book I would write. So why did, how did you narrow it down to writing a book about being a minimalist entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a, a process. Uh, so, you know, Penguin reached out in February of 2019. The book came out in October of 2021. So it was two and a half year process of which maybe a year and a half was spent like in the creative part and then, you know, a year kind of just making making a thing happen, printing the book, all that kind of stuff. But uh, Penguin initially reached out and were basically because I wrote that blog post that went viral, right? Reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company that passed the kind of history of Gumroad, which is kind of why I have a big Twitter audience and all these things kind of, a lot of that stems from that kind of big bang moment for me uh, in a way. And so it was in the beginning, it was just like, you know, you wrote two to 3000 words here. You clearly have a lot of thoughts on entrepreneurship, on sort of creating value, capturing value, VC, bootstrapping, all these kind of ideas are in here. You're you know, this essay is definitely more on kind of like the base camp side of things. And so, yeah, do you want to write a book? And it was basically six months of me being like, not really, to be honest. Like, I don't, <laughs> what, you know, no, I, I know I've read enough, not great business books to know that, like, I don't know if the world needs one of these right now. And so I sat on it for a long time and actually ran this guy, Josh Kaufman at, uh, Microconf and he I connected. Love Josh. Oh, he's awesome. Personal and MBA he, author. Great book. Mm -hmm, yep. 
personal MBA. And, and so I was telling him, you know, thinking about writing a book and he said, you should talk to this guy, David Moldor, who's awesome. He basically helps authors come up with their proposals that effectively the pitch deck for your book that even though, you know, Penguin is asking you to write a book, you still have to kind of do your little formal pitch and, and kind of get them on board with whatever you want to do. And so I started working with David and uh, David actually, I, th I believe, came up with a proposal for Atomic Habits. And so I was like, yeah, I want to work with this guy. He clearly knows what he's doing, uh, did a good job there. And so we, we basically like, I came up with my own couple proposals and like literally Penguin was like, these are not good. And my, he, <laughs> this is, it was like the first, like, I remember the first, I think the first attempt at it was called leaving startup land, which more directly kind of that memory aspect of the, of that blog post, which was a pot was kind of a pot on leaving Neverland, which maybe is not the exact best kind of association you want, um, with Michael Jackson and, and all that stuff. And then half the book was, you know, what's not it's like you know what's cool not cool a billion dollars like a kind of a play on right like, on that quote from the facebook like, movie it's just terrible it was just like <laughs> i was just being really clever and smart and like the idea of writing a book versus was like more interesting to me than like making the book good but anyway he sat down with me and he's like what do you actually want to write and i was like oh i just like spitballed with him for a bunch of, of hours and he basically i think said something like you know like you you want to teach people how to start a business like that seems to be what you care about more than anything is you want more people to start businesses. Um, actually, it doesn't even have to be startup businesses or software businesses or or the opposite. It doesn't have to be explicitly bootstrap businesses. You just want more entrepreneurs out there. And so I was like, yes. And he's like, well, then you should just write a book that's like literally this is how to start a business, you know? And, and he was the one who really kind of came up with like the structure. We definitely changed a lot since then, but like the kind of overall structure of how to start a business, you know, start with like coming up with the idea, building it, selling it, marketing it, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that was kind of a lot of, a lot of his work. And I really, I really believe that like, if we end up in this future of like thousands of Elon Musk's or whatever, like whatever people think like a great future looks like, maybe some people don't think that's a great future, whatever. But uh, I believe the way that we get to this like awesome future uh, that we all get to live in uh, is, is because of a bunch more people started companies, built technology, raised money, hired awesome people, um, and shipped, shipped, shipped. And then all of these innovations compound on each other. And then we live the, an awesome future. And so like selfishly, I think like really the best thing I could possibly do to improve my own quality of life in 50 years from now, it is literally just like trying to exceed as many entrepreneurs as possible. Even though again, like I don't think building a business is that hard, right? Like I don't think it is like, what is the quote? Like chewing glass and staring out into the, the abyss. Yeah. Right? Like Bill Lee says, like, Certainly there are businesses that like, sure, Tesla and SpaceX probably are closer to that, but there are many smaller businesses and actually Elon, like he had a business called Zip2, which he started, I believe with his brother years and years and years ago, decades ago now, before PayPal, Zip2, the number two, which was kind of like a mapping service or something like pre-MapQuest. So he had a business that was like very kind of low CapEx, software heavy, and that led to Elon actually becoming who he is today, right? Um, which most people would probably not consider him like the most minimalist of entrepreneurs or whatever, um, though I might. But like it, it, that kind of compounding can happen at these like small businesses that you can wrap your head around and then you can always take that capital, freedom, whatever, and like apply it. Well, you have a good tweet. You said how to grow. Say yes to things you cannot do. And you can apply that to like an individual. Okay, if I want to grow, I need to do things that are hard. But you can apply that to humanity as a species, you know, like we have to be faced with ever greater challenges in order to grow. 
Yeah. And we're just not going to do it hypothetically, right? Um, like I think it's, it's very difficult to sit in a room and say, oh, we got to do, we got to do this incredibly hard, difficult thing. We're all going to sweat and cry and it might even hurt. Like people just don't do that kind of thing. I think right. when you, when, you know, like the, the reason Elon is doing this thing going to Mars, I think he really feels it as a, an existential threat. Otherwise he wouldn't be doing it. It'd be like, oh, we'll do this 50 years from now or a hundred years right. from now when we solved all the problems on earth and we're, we're done and we can like worry about those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Ironically, all of this like big picture stuff is very opposite to what's in your book though. Like your book is called the minimalist entrepreneur. And when you talk about like what it means to be a minimalist entrepreneur, it's kind of connected to the same sort of conversation you had with this person who helped you come up with the pitch for your book. He said, okay, what do you actually want to change in the world? Sahil? Like, what do you actually want to, like, what do you want people to know? What do you want? Like, how do you want the world to be different as a result of what you're doing? And I think that's not a very common mindset that people take into project and businesses. And I think it's, it's my number one takeaway from your book. It's the thing that resonated with me the most. And it's the thing that I've also been telling as many people about as I possibly could since I've started Indie Hackers, which is that like, hey, a business can just be a project that's an attempt to change some small corner of the world. It doesn't have to change the entire world. It doesn't have to be a unicorn, nor does that have to be like this like soulless money-making project. It can be just a project where you're like, you know, I really wish there was like, I don't know, less trash on my street. You know, I really wish like more people knew how to code. I really wish like people were optimistic about technology. And you can start a business that accomplishes that objective and makes enough money to sustain itself in perpetuity so you can continue accomplishing that objective. And I think that's a very inspiring sort of viewpoint to take that no matter who you are, no matter how small you are, you can be just one person, you can make some impact on some corner of the world and you can do that through a business. So it's true. And I, I think obviously like, you know, I talk a lot about Elon, he dominates the headlines, he takes up my mind share, but ultimately like you need everybody, right? This is like a group effort. Like, and I, I feel it in the tech industry where we, we often talk about how important the tech industry is, right? But ev everything is important. I think like you go to the grocery store and like that stuff is getting better because of all of these small micro changes, right? Uh, that are happening and improving. Like we got uh, vaccinated. That was like, an, was like, wow, this is like an incredible experience. Like the, you know, the operational kind of excellence behind this, this thing. Like we just been, you know, like every time I've like run up into stuff, I'm like, wow, like this is so much better than it would have been five to 10 years ago, like the pharmacy experience, the grocery store experience, fast food, nutritional information, like just literally everything is just better and better and better. Or I remember like I was doing like the sheets of my bed and I was like, wow, like there's now hooks that like put the sheets under over the bed. So it's like, I don't have to like hold the thing and like all, you know, these like nightmares I had as a child, you know, that like prevent me from being a good adult, you know, <laughs> no, those things actually do, like, those aren't problems anymore. Like the, we, we solved those problems like five years ago, but like you haven't, reconsidered your your priors uh in a long time and like and but yeah you're right like i think it's all it's all these small things right that and and if you want to take a big swing you can uh but i really think that there's probably too many people that are like saying oh i'm starting out i need to take a big swing right i need to do start tesla instead of start zip too and i think it's really important that like people start actually with the smallest possible project and then over time, either that project or another project, you can kind of push yourself and grow and grow and grow. But it's kind of like you go to the gym, you don't go to the gym and say, I'm going to bench press 225 pounds, right? No. Yeah, it'll just get squashed on day one. Squashed. You will, and if you, you survive it, you won't go back to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you survive it, your ego won't, right? Like you're done. Yeah. But if you say, I'm just going to do the bar and then add, you know, the next time I come in, add two and a half pounds or whatever the minimum is, like literally whatever the minimum is, just do that. And then do that literally every other time. Like you'll never fail, almost never fail. 
you will always be making progress. And like the unbelievable thing to me is that you literally will be able to do something that you weren't able to do before, which it still blows my mind, to be honest, that like when you get stronger, most of your strength has nothing to do with your muscle mass. In the beginning, it has to do with your central nervous system rewiring itself. Like, oh crap, you need to be able to do this. Like literally like there's, there's kind of things in your body that are getting better that like, I'm not, it's just weird. It's just crazy to me. Um, and, and I love that idea that like, I literally am not capable. And that is where that tweet kind of comes from. Like, you know, the way you grow is by saying yes to things you cannot do is because literally you cannot do them. Like you, mm. you cannot do them and you become qualified. You learn how to do them in by the starting. process of doing it. Like literally by starting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's also something paradoxical about this idea that like, because you and I, I think, kind of the same opinion. Like, I would love for people to start smaller. I meet so many entrepreneurs, and I'm like, start smaller. You're biting off so much. You're doing so many different things, and it's just really fucking hard. And most of the people you admire, if you look at their early days, did not look like this. They were doing very unambitious, very simple things uh, that you wouldn't even imagine, because that's not what makes the headlines today. But at the same time, people get inspired by these really big stories. I mean, how many times has Elon come up in this conversation, right? People see, like, these huge numbers, these larger-than-life figures – and that's what I think gets a lot of people up off the couch who never would have otherwise. And so it's almost this roller coaster path of like, all right, get inspired by some crazy thing that's probably unachievable on your first, you know, at bat. Then get sort of crushed down to the ground when you try that and realize it's unachievable. Then stumble onto like a good podcast or a book or a mentor or a colleague who's like, oh, no, 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 it's okay to start small. And then now that you've sort of gone through the grinder, you sort of start small. And maybe that's the, the path that most people need to follow. They might need that sort of unrealistic catalyst. I think that's true to a large degree. Like I, I've noticed this with a lot of friends and now founders that I get to invest in where I, I will literally say, these are like some of the mistakes that you will make in the next year. And then you will make all of them. Like, even if I'm telling you all of the mistakes, you know, I'm telling you what's in your future. Like you have to, you have to be the one to make these mistakes because for whatever reason, like you just, either you won't believe them or you won't like recall at the time that the mistake is going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but like you will make these mistakes. And I, I think, you you know, I think your, your point is like super, super well taken, which is like, look, I went through that, right? Like I wanted to build a massive thing and then I failed. And then I went through this process and then I wrote a book about wanting people to like avoid some of the roller coaster. Right. But ultimately, I think this book will just be part of somebody else's <laughs> roller coaster, right? Like they, it's it, true. it is somewhat inevitable. And this is like, I think a dissonance that I am still trying to, to figure out. And this book is really just like, the reason I wrote the book was to write a book. Honestly, it was like, I don't have anything better to do. If I say yes to this, will something else more important, will I have to say no to that at the time? No. And so I was like, I, I might as well write a book, even if it's terrible, at least my second book will be more interesting. Right. It's kind of like the starting start and then learn. Exactly. It's like, why, why, why not? But definitely, yeah, there is this, there is, I think that sign curve that I think to, to a, to a large degree is, is kind of inevitable. And I haven't figured out a way to solve for that. Like I want more people to start businesses. And I, I noticed this when I do a talk where I'll like talk about bootstrapping and how you start and a little bit, all these things. And then like almost always the number one question is like, how do I raise money from VCs? Right? Like that's like very common. <laughs> and it's like, people have this, I, I actually noticed this with Gummer too, where like we talk to all these musicians. And we're like, okay, we, you know, we have a business model that we think could be really great for you. And it, like, it's way better than the old system. Um, basically better in every single way. You make more money, you take, you know, you see all the data, you get to talk to your customers, like every better in every way. 
the only downside is that you probably won't become famous, right? Because you won't become Kanye West this way. To become Kanye West, you need the label, you need Coachella, you need the infrastructure. But that's fine because 0.01% of people ever become Kanye West. So like Gummer will be a great business for the 99%. It turns out, talking to a bunch of musicians, a lot of them want to become Kanye West. <laughs> That's and the motivation. They, know, they yeah. know what the odds are. They know what the odds are, but it doesn't matter to them. What got them excited about getting into the business is the chance. The chance that they can become Taylor Swift, Kanye West, Barack Obama, Donald Trump. Like th These are a lot of the stories that inspire us. And we need that, right? Because if, if we were all honest about the odds, maybe a lot of us wouldn't even start. And we would never actually... The world wouldn't ever actually have any Elon Musk because none of us decided that we had a shot, right? Unfortunately, what it means is there are probably many people who thought they had a shot that never got there, right? Like there's a lot of survivorship bias, I think. Well, the uh, cool thing about the world is that it's becoming, I think, increasingly safe to shoot your shot and fail. You know, yeah. 200 years ago, I think to, to just set out on your own and be an entrepreneur could be like completely ruinous and like today it, it is for some people but significantly fewer people i talked to so many people who like they try and then they just go get a job as a software engineer yeah. or marketer and it's fine you know like there's not that much downside but the upside is still basically infinite the degree to which the world continues to make that true for more and more people where you it is safe to fail but mm -hmm. if you succeed it could be wild is the degree to which we're gonna like live in this sort of crazy world you're envisioning where like lots of people are trying lots of different things and the, everything just gets better as a result. Yeah, totally. You ba you basically need to minimize the downside risk, right? If you can yeah. make really make it so that someone can start a company, take a shot and socially, financially it is not ruinous uh to them, just like, you know, bankruptcy, right? The like the idea that you can like I remember as a kid learning for the first time about bankruptcy and being like, "Wait, what?" Like you can <laughs> you can just say you're and you're done and you're bankrupt and then basically just all your debts go away. But actually, you don't even have to shut the company down. Like, you can just, you can just keep going. <laughs> what? This is like, why wouldn't more people do that was my, you know, but like, you know, you don't want social bankruptcy, which definitely kind of can exist, right? In, in, the, in this way where you like take a big shot and then everyone's like, wow, you're an idiot, right? But yeah, more and more, I think we live in a world in which like there are very few excuses and, and fewer every day. And even in even if your business fails, I really think it's almost all upside, right? Like if you really took a shot, one you learn a ton, so you're just better off that way. Like you're working harder, uh, faster, longer than than you would have otherwise, um, and you have to get to the right answer because otherwise your business dies, right? Like I think it's kind of forcing function to to get smarter and kind of be realistic, like acknowledge kind of the truth of of the market and what you're building, et cetera. I agree. I think that ultimately the downside sort of minimizing the downside, it makes a big difference. Do you think we ever get out of this sort of situation we're in where like so many people want to be the Kanye West and so many people want to be the Elon, even though the odds are such that like you can't really have more than one or two of this? I, I don't meet like surprisingly, despite being an indie hacker, I don't meet that many people who are like content with like building something small and making a life for themselves and staying at that level. Because once they do, they're like, okay, what's the next thing? <laughs> I want to be bigger. I want to be better. I don't know how it, how it is for you, but I feel the same pull sometimes when I'm sitting around. I'm like, okay, well, what's the next thing? And then I'm like, wait, 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 I'm pretty happy right now. Does there need to be a next thing? And it's kind of hard to not constantly have that conversation. It's like the, the quote from Einstein, like you have to keep moving. Life is like riding a bicycle. If you don't keep moving, you're going to fall off, right? That sort of thing where like the default is not staying still. It's actually some amount of progress, velocity, acceleration, 
et cetera. But I, I definitely feel that. I definitely feel the same thing, which is let's imagine that everyone's on some sort of power law, right? Like every industry, every, mm. every, every profession has some sort of, you know, Twitter followings, whatever is on some power law. Like I'm somewhere on uh, several power laws and I can't help but look up instead of down, right? Yeah. Like if I look back, I'm like, oh, wow, there's like 700 million Twitter accounts that have less followers than I do or whatever. <laughs> but no, all I can say is like, well, no, there's like 100,000 that have more, you know? Right. Um, but unfortunately, like literally for every single person except number one, like that. That's always happen. true. Yeah. And it's actually worse, the better you get, because like the gap between you and the next person actually only increases, right? Like it sort of becomes stratospheric. And But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I actually had a thought that I know this is like such a sort of a tech bro kind of thing to say, but I, I was like, oh, maybe crypto solves this, right? Like, uh, <laughs> because I, 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 I think you need sort of one maximum sort of two Kanye West, Harry Potters. Um, one of the things that I would love to write and I'm sort of thinking about the right way to and the right format is this idea that monopolies are good, actually. Like, I think there's a lot of benefits to having a monopoly. The sort of clearest example I've come up with is something like a Harry Potter which is obviously not like a capitalist kind of monopoly, but I think it's a cultural monopoly in which like every kid kind of like reads it and then says, oh, this is the house that I'm in and the people I like and don't like and blah, blah, blah. And I think you need that because you need to like show up to the law, to school and like have a thing to talk about. And if like there were 30 Harry Potters, you would never have that, right? right. Um, and you, you do have, there are 30 Harry Potters, just only one of them is insanely successful. And then maybe there's like a power loss or maybe there's like the Rick Roy and stuff is like, you know. Yep. Percy Jackson stuff's like maybe 10%, 20%, <laughs> something like that. But really, like, there is one. And I was thinking, like, maybe the answer is some sort of business model around fan fiction, right? Whereas maybe the answer is not that you, you, every new aspiring author is trying to effectively displace Harry Potter. Like, for example, when I, you know, when Penguin said you get to write a book, their hope, I assume, is that the ideal case is that I, whatever, topple whoever is at the top of their heap currently rework or whatever it may be or actually probably the four-hour work week actually was probably like the book that's like kind of at the top because uh, otherwise like their business model doesn't work right like their business model is just trying to find like the next kind of stochastic winner but maybe if you have something like harry potter it's like well you just hire a bunch of people like all of those artists and creators and designers and writers etc are not trying to spin off their own harry potter series independently but they're actually working for you right right the problem sort of remixing that stuff exactly exactly remixing adding to the canon this sort of quote-unquote decentralized sort of thing that starts to happen over time progressive decentralization and i assume that like estates and all these things will have to adapt in this way as well but i think the core problem it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning is it's not very entrepreneurial right you just get a job and what i think we need to figure out is kind of like the best of both worlds like how do you get the entrepreneurialism how do you get the autonomy the sort of market feedback loop, uh, you want everyone to just report to a boss within a massive corporation called Harry Potter Inc. And then the other thing that I think is really key here is equity. I think you need, and this is the thing I love the most about startups that I think needs to get out, right? Is like, how do we introduce equity into all of these other different verticals? Why? Because I think the principal agent problem, right? Like you want people who, you want people to be aligned, have the real skin in the game. And I think that's why crypto NFTs, all these sorts of, sorts of things, I think are resonating even though maybe there's like still a lot of like hot air kind of vapor, you know, that we're trying yeah. to figure out um, is because I think people resonate with that deeper idea and they want that. And clearly this technology is going to be part of that, right? Uh, unfortunately, what people see is they just see this is not solving that problem and therefore it is evil and bad. 
uh, and maybe it is right. We could be wrong, I guess. Um, but you know, I really believe that that like the 10 years that I've spent in the creator economy, like I've spent more time in the creator economy than most people. And yeah, in 2020, 2021, like people now talk about the creator economy a lot. Like it's everywhere. It's crazy to me how common it's become. And all I can see, maybe I'm just so jaded is I'm like, the creator economy is broken. It's a broken economy. That's what makes me so optimistic. Like we, there is an answer. There must be an answer. Maybe that's irrational optimism, but there must be an answer to this because there has been an answer to all these other things that we, we had problems with and are no longer problems. And so our reality is not as good as it could be. And it will be that good once we figure out the right sort of technology solutions and social sort of momentum and consensus around these ideas. And then at some point in the future, like all of these things will be solved. Right. And like becoming a musician, whatever that may be, may look like in the future is just doesn't have the same, you know, connotation as it does today. Yeah. The creative industries are so interesting to me because it's, um, I mean, you made a good point earlier about like, okay, there can only really be one Harry Potter and everything has to be kind of successively smaller than that. Because I mean, a lot of the value of something like Harry Potter is that everybody knows it and everybody can talk about it. And like, that's sort of an invisible part of the product. And I think that's kind of true with a lot of creative endeavors. You know, like if I buy a car, it doesn't matter if it's the same car as anybody else. Cause like the value I get from this car is not me talking to other people who have like my same car, <laughs> you know, it's like, it gets me to and from a place every day. But if I'm listening to a podcast, or reading a book, it's significantly more valuable if there are other people out there who I can talk to about it, yeah. which means that there will probably always be, I guess, fewer successful, <laughs> you know, creators and there are individual cars or spoons or couches or whatever that no one has to talk about because like you need these network effects. You need people to yeah. talk about them. There's, there's basically like no single player mode, right? Like right. To, to culture. Uh, and I kind of group all of these things under culture as the umbrella, like capitalism is one big bucket. And then culturalism is kind of what I'm thinking about is this next other bucket. And I think there's kind of just different. Like, I think capitalism is basically purely about maximizing economic utility, which is effectively just like efficiency, comparative advantage, relative advantages, absolute advantage, et cetera, like econ 101. And I think there's this like whole other set of, of buckets, which is kind of cultural objects, music, video games, sports. I would say, I would argue kind of like a lot of politics, even we're kind of applying this idea of, of economic utility to it. And, and currently the solution is kind of like advertising, right? You basically get all these eyeballs and attention because you, you know, you make all this cool stuff that everyone knows about. And then you basically just like sell it to people who are actually selling an economic utility product. And there's sort of arbitrage in that. And that's kind of advertising. That's like how the kind of creative industries mostly function today. I think there's this interesting phenomenon of like second order effects. Like it's very hard to predict the sort of results of any technology because that technology itself will enable new technology that will then enable other new technology. And then like by that time, it's way beyond what we could predict. I think one of the things that's happened with the internet and the creator economy is you've gotten the rise of all these platforms that just make it easier or possible to make a living online, like TikTok, YouTube, these things would have been unimaginable in 1992. I think the downside to these things are sort of the trade-off is that they're a little bit on rails. You know, one TikToker isn't really that different from another TikToker. One YouTuber is not that different from another YouTuber. Whereas when I read your book, you're more sort of like traditional entrepreneurship, which is like, get out there, discover a problem, find a community, market, et cetera. Don't necessarily use a platform that's gonna put you on rails. Use tools that make things easier, but like you have to go out and discover that problem on your own and be your own sort of entrepreneur. Do you think it's possible to, to have a world where 
many, you know, hundreds of millions of people are doing this? Or do you think that the way that we get to a world where there's lots of entrepreneurs is that we put people on rails, that we all, we create tons and tons of platforms that make sort of a streamlined process for people to figure out how to create content or how to build something that makes them money? Like the cookie cutter entrepreneurship, I don't think will work long term. Like, I think you'll basically reach the saturation point where you'll have people who are really good and maybe five to 10 people who are really good at something, but then they become known for being really good at that thing. I still think we're like in the early phase of the internet where like, we're still discovering, oh, who is the best math teacher? Who is the best physics teacher? Who is the best, like, for example, like in the tech industry, you'd say, okay, Balaji or Chris Dixon or Naval are like the top people to follow in crypto, but like the rest of the world doesn't know that yet. And once that happens, there's going to be a lot less opportunity to become like the next person because you have to kind of like replace one of them to, to take a spot. They're, they're the Harry Potters, basically. Exactly, exactly. They're, they're, they're kind of the Harry Potters. I, I think the, the ultimate answer is that you have to give people the kind of tools and the mental models to kind of go out and solve their local problems. And I think, I think that's why that part is so important to me is that you need to, to have these entrepreneurs literally just go outside and say, what is not ideal? right? Like, what can I improve about my life, the people, the lives of the people around me? What's too expensive that I could make cheaper? Or what's slow that I could make fast? What's far away that I have to drive 15 minutes to that I could do right here, right? It could be a brick and mortar. It could be e-commerce. It could be a course. It could be like yeah. a well, bunch. It's hard to find that I can make easier to find. It's hard to learn that I can make easier to learn. Yeah. That's like pure, just simple economic efficiency. Just like make things faster, cheaper, you know, closer, more accessible. And just do that. Like, that's literally what all the, you know, what does Stripe do? It just makes things that were harder, more accessible. Like you could have, you know, accepted credit card payments in 2008. It was just really slow, really painful, maybe really expensive and probably not that accessible to most people. Right. Um, it's not that crazy. And I'm glad this is kind of at the end, but you know, one thing I have been thinking a lot about is like, I find that this, this creator thing happens, which is everyone just figures out, okay, I need to be on TikTok and TikTok wants a certain thing from me or the people who use TikTok do or whoever, right? And it creates this like, yeah, this cookie cutter kind of approach. And this happens with every feed, right? Like every you know, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Reddit, like there are those people who kind of have that personality because it's kind of what works. And right. one of the reasons I really wanted to write this book is that I wanted to sort of take all these successful creators who I'm familiar with, who kind of are in my audience already and say, hey, like, this is great. This is like an awesome way to start, right? Creator first, entrepreneur second, like great way to start. But ultimately, if you really want to add a lot of value and, and create something entirely new, like create, create, you have to think like an entrepreneur first, right? You have to think of starting a business and solving a problem and selling that problem to a market of participants and doing and, and hiring staff and investing and raising money whether that's just profits or crowdfunding or venture or whatever, but like holistically, all of these sorts of things that you, you have to do to improve the world, to contribute to the frontier of humanity, however big or small that may be. Because frankly, like the Gumroad sort of TikTok, et cetera, like Shopify, drop shipping, whatever, like that's all great. That's all great places to start because you'll learn all the, all the kind of the skills, the muscle memory, et cetera. You'll be able to bench 225, but then you should go apply that. Like benching 225 is not going to do anything for you, right? Like what? That's cool. You can tell your friends you have a bunch. It's like, it's like having, you know, a ton of Twitter followers, like, but like you want to do something, you, you know, unique and valuable for the world. And I think unique is really important because if someone has already said that thing, right, just share that message with your audience or whatever, like try to come up with something new that, that, you know, it's like when you shuffle a deck of cards, right? Never been shuffled in that order ever before in the history of the universe. Yeah. 
Most sentences you speak have never been uttered by any other person. I'll come up with a tweet and I'm like, there's no way no one in the, you know, has not said this. And I'll like Google with quotes and it's like, what? Like zero results. Seven words in a row. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's my, it's hard to, to wrap your head around. And so it's like, it's not that hard to be totally unique and different and, and come up with an idea that hasn't been solved truly. Um, especially because the world is also changing. Like English has existed for a long time. Like the world yeah. problems that people have are changing all the time. Like once you solve people's problems, like they will have a whole new set of problems, right? I got an email today from someone who's building an app that is basically possible because of autonomous driving. The difficulty should not be in finding the problem. The difficulty is in building the right solution, making sure people love the product. But like, frankly, raising money is not that hard. You know, raising money, coming up with the business ideas, like that stuff's not that hard. But it's what everybody focuses on. When you go to any sort of conference of entrepreneurs, what is everyone talking about? I don't have an idea. I can't raise any money. And they're making that hard. And I think that's kind of what I like about your book is like you sort of break down, okay, like here's how to find an idea, right? Here's how you come up with a problem, right? Community first search, for example. And I think that a lot of this wisdom that you're dispensing that you've written about in your book that people are just going to ignore <laughs> and make all those mistakes anyway, a lot of it can be understood and you can actually make the easy parts easy instead of making them hard and then get to the, the dirty work of doing the parts that are actually hard. Sahil, thanks for coming on and just riffing with me on all sorts of topics. That was fun. I love doing it. I love talking to you. So anytime. Same, same. Uh, where can people go to find your book? All the usual places, I, I suspect. All the, all the usual places. You can go to minimalistentrepreneur.com. But yeah, to save yourself some typos, I would just Google that and uh, <laughs> whatever you wish. And uh, my Twitter is at SHL, which also links to the book. All right. Thanks again, Sahil.